This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 326, and we are recording on April 26th. I like that summary. Yes. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome. Indeed. To our show. Yes. <laughs> here we are. It is springtime. It is. It is. The bees are like buzzing away in my laurel bushes, which is very gratifying. <laughs> I'm trying to like kind of rewild my backyard yes. because I hate mowing. Mm-hmm. When I tell you I hate, hate mowing my lawn, <laughs> I hate it so much. Lawns are so dumb. They are colonialist throwbacks. They're racist. Lawns are racist. And so <laughs> I just don't want to do it anymore. And so I'm just like, I did mow paths where like you can walk around and like there's paths to compost pile. But for the most part, I'm just letting it go. And it's just bees. Yeah. And I love it. Yes. Bees and wildflowers. The bees need it. They do. Save I'm only doing the backyard because they don't want my neighbors to yell at me. So the front yard is normal. Fair, <laughs> fair. <laughs> but we'll see. I have plans. I'm going to do something with the front. I live in a neighborhood without an HOA. So oh. really, I can do whatever I want yeah. as long as the county doesn't get called. <laughs> totally. Uh, see what happens. Anyway, that's my um, HOAs are evil <laughs> and lawns are racist. I've said a lot of things and it's been like 30 seconds. <laughs> So how this show works, if you're new, it's it's always like this, just so you know. Um, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So that means if you need a, you know, reading recommendation, if you read a book that you loved and you want something just like it, or you're traveling and want to read about the place, or you need a book club pick or whatever, you can send those to us at getbooktipbookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form, which is in the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, then put that in the subject line. Or if you're using the form, just put it in big, all caps, uh, in the first line of your question so that we can get to it on time. Okay, we do have a few pieces of feedback. Oh, are these all from the same person? I maybe didn't put their name. So my bad. Okay. So for Mariana, who wants novels about Asian culture, I recommend Peach Blossom Spring by Melissa Fu. It's a debut novel inspired by her father's life and is a multi-generational story of war and migration that begins in China. Peach Blossom Spring is also a recommendation for Tracy, who won a great historical fiction. And another great historical novel is The Magnificent Lives of Marjorie Post by Alison Pataki, which tells the story of Marjorie Merriweather Post, who was the daughter of C.W. Post's cereal company, which is General Foods. And then for Tina, who wants books in the You've Got Mail style by any other name by Lauren Kate is a contemporary romance that takes place in the bookish world with an editor who works with a mysterious author. It is predictable, but fun. Predictable, but fun is a great subgenre. Yeah. Any genre. I love that. All right. I'm going to read our first question. We will hear from our first sponsor and then away we'll go. Question one is from Kathy, who says, um, this request is going to sound kind of sus, but I am fascinated by books about prison, both fiction and nonfiction. I loved Prison Break and Orange is the New Black, so maybe that's where the fascination comes from. I don't know. Today, I'm specifically looking for fiction about a character who has a spouse, parent, or child in prison, or perhaps the story of someone's life both inside and outside of prison, i.e. how they got to this point, how they are moving on after being released, etc. I've already read and loved The Enchanted by Renee Denfield, Burial Rites by Hannah Kent, and Rita Hayworth and The Shawshank Redemption slash The Green Mile by Stephen King. Do you have any other books with similar vibes? Note, I am not looking for books about prison camps or the Holocaust. All right, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. 
Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jen, books about prison. Yeah. So my very first thought was The Residue Years by Mitchell S. Jackson. This is one of those novels that is based on personal experience. Uh, Both Jackson and his main character grew up in Portland, Oregon in the 90s as like black folks in a historically black but rapidly gentrifying area. And this character both is a parent and a child in prison. His mm. So it's a family saga. His mother is... Oh, right. Content warnings. So many content warnings. Uh, <laughs> drug use, sexual assault, violence, and obviously racism. So yes, the main character here, um, Champ, his mother is an addict. And the book sort of jumps around in time. So it's not like a straightforward narrative. But you see her both post-rehab, like, you know, she's been through a drug treatment program. She's trying to stay clean. She's trying to get her kids back. And you see her in sort of the worst throes of her addiction. And then Champ, who is has like, you know, he's smart. He's doing well at school. But has because his mother is so unreliable, he sort of has to both fend for himself and try to keep his younger brothers and sisters like going. And so he ends up selling crack because that's the best option he has to make money the quickest the most money he can, the quickest he can to support his family. And inevitably, this, you know, lands him in prison. And so it is about how he got there, what it's like to try to be getting out. Like I said, it jumps around in time and space. You get all of these different moments of his life and the lives of those around him. It's so well written, y'all. It is like 
a freaking masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really important book. I don't know all of the books that you named in your question, but a lot of them were by white people. And so I think it's also important Mm -hmm. to read the experiences of people who are more likely to end up in jail, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. Uh, So again, Mm -hmm. that's The Residue Years by Mitchell S. Jackson. Okay, I picked American Marriage by Tayari Jones, which has trigger warnings for sexual assault and racism. And this is about a couple uh, named Celestial and Roy. They're from, I think, Atlanta. And he is like a successful young business person. And she is an artist who is about to, like, on the brink of becoming super famous. They get married. Their life is kind of shine, 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 you know. And then he, Roy, is arrested uh, for a rape that he very obviously did not commit and that his wife knows he did not commit. Um, And he's sentenced to 12 years. And so the story kind of, I mean, that's in the first, you know, few chapters. And then the story is what happens after that. Like this couple had everything. They were so deeply in love. He was arrested and imprisoned. And now she's supposed to do what? Like, does she wait for him? Like, what do you do? You know, and so she kind of has to continue living. She has to make money and, you know, support herself. And she eventually takes comfort in her friend Andre, who was who has like been in love with her forever, was the best man at their wedding. That takes a turn, as you can imagine. Uh, And it just all gets very complicated and messy. Roy's having, of course, a really traumatizing time in jail. And then he suddenly gets released after, I think, five or six years. Um, His sentence gets overturned and he's released. And now he's like back out in the world and Celestial has to deal with that. Like she has kind of her life has continued while his has completely stood still for five years. And what what are you supposed to do? So this hits a lot of the points that you were asking for. It is about a character who has a spouse in prison. And then also what the person's life is like both inside and outside and how traumatizing, of course, being put into prison and the experience of being in prison can be. But then like what happens after? Like Mm -hmm. we don't hear a lot of stories about that. Outside, you know, Orange is the New Black, when I I don't remember the character's name uh, because it's from season one, which is the only season I watched, but when she like commits crimes on purpose so she can go back to like that kind of thing. I think that's the only pop culture reference I have to like what happens after. And what happens after is really complicated and difficult because everybody who you know has continued living and you are just stuck in whatever, you know, time and place it was that you got um, arrested initially. So there's it's a really complicated story. A lot is going on here. Um, It's really, really heartbreaking. And super good. So that's American Marriage by Tayari Jones. All right. Our next question is from Olivia, who says, I recently blasted through the first season of Our Flag Means Death, which if you have not seen, I cannot recommend enough. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. So I'm looking for books to fill that void until the second season. My favorite aspects of the show are the unambiguous, unchallenged queerness of almost every character and the balance of clever humor and heart-wrenching drama. I'd like also like Mm -hmm. to keep the pirate ship setting. So, Olivia, I am a couple episodes (laughs) into Our Flag Means Death. I haven't gotten to the end yet, but I I feel you. It is very enjoyable. We have a post um, of books mm. like Our Flag Means Death. I will say that it is a tricky needle to thread because it does do like so much drama and it does do also so much like funny silliness it's a complicated mix plus pirates like it's it's a hard mix to nail down so amanda what did you pick <laughs> um i okay so i've not seen the show so i went on youtube and watched some like trailers and snippets so i could get a feel for it and then i just went straight to the post that we have on the site because help me i don't <laughs> i don't know um and so i picked on a lee shore by ellen gregory which is a historical 
gay romance on a pirate ship. So that seems like it's going to nail it for you. So it's about a man named Kit who was a lieutenant. He was in the Navy. Um, and through a series of circumstances that were not his fault, he loses his ship. And, you know, like the war is over, all that kind of stuff. So he has to like find something to do with himself. And so he decides to work as a valet. And he gets hired escorting an elderly diplomat um, to a bunch of islands on the elderly diplomat ship. Like, it's just something to do, right? He needs something to occupy his time and make make a living. But the ship is boarded by pirates and Kit and the um, one of the other employees, I guess, of the diplomat on the ship get taken as hostage. And so he now finds himself on this pirate ship being forced to do work um, for a group of people he does not approve of. It's very like, good sirs, this is not moral kind of a feeling <laughs> coming from Kit. But the more that he lives on the ship and gets to know the crew, especially the captain, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, um, and hears their stories, he's, he, the more he starts to realize that like people don't turn to a life of crime because it's like cute or because they're inherently bad people, but, but that they have all, a lot of them are like avoiding the Navy that he just left and that he, that he that, you know, deeply mistreated him. And so he kind of starts to understand why people would choose this kind of life. And the longer he lives it, the more free he feels um, and the more unsatisfied he becomes with his like moral compass that he was given by the Navy. Um, also, the more he feels like putting his face on the face of the captain who is interested also in his face so there's a lot of face face stuff happening if you if you catch my and a lot of pirates so it's not as like um fun or you know kind of slap not slapdash silly it's not as like silly and kind of goofy as our flag means death but uh it's got everything else so that's on a lee shore by ellen gregory yeah, I went with In Deeper Waters by F.T. Lukens, which is a really heartwarming, sweet, like, naval ship fantasy. Uh, extremely gay, extremely queer. <laughs> and so those were the sort of elements that I went with. It isn't exactly pirates, although there are, well, there are pirates, but the main character is not a pirate. The main character is Tal, who is a prince. And the tradition in his family is that when you are coming of age, you get to do a big tour of the kingdom on a ship because, because boats, I don't know. And so, and he's been very sort of sequestered from public life up to this point. He has this like magic that is secret and not allowed. And so nobody can know, but he gets to do the tour anyway. And they come across just a couple days into the journey. They come across this like person who's been chained up on this like burning vessel. So they retrieve the prisoner. They're trying to figure out like what to do with this person. And then the prisoner, Athlin, like jumps overboard and disappears. And Tal feels so bad because like this person just like, you know, jumped into the ocean, like probably not going to survive. Except then he meets up with him a few days later. And there's like chemistry, there's confusion, mm -hmm. there's also mm -hmm. more magic stuff. It is so unabashedly, like n nobody is challenged for their sexuality in this book. Like nobody cares about that part, which is, I think, very similar to Our Flag Means Death. And there is drama, but it's more like uh, romancy drama. It's a little bit less of the Our Flag Means Death drama. But it's so sweet and lovely. It's so much fun. I'm like obsessed with these characters and it will give you all all those feel-good feelings plus boats. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's In Deeper Waters by F.T. Lukens. All right. Our next question is from Teresa, who says, For a few years now, I've been questioning my gender and thinking more and more that I might be non-binary. 
the problem is I really have no idea how to articulate why it is that I've become fixated on this idea. A therapist I was seeing a while back helpfully said that if it, if I kept coming back to this line of thinking, there's probably a reason, but it's hard to feel confident about it or take any action when I feel like I can't even explain why. I'm looking for books about the experience of discovering and embracing one's non-binary gender. Fiction or nonfiction are welcome. Really, anything that will give me some language for how to talk about how it feels to just not fit. For example, everyone I talk to automatically assumes it has to do with feeling more masculine or something because they can only think within the constraints of a binary system. I know that's not right, but when I try to explain what exactly it is that I'm feeling, nothing comes out right, and it feels like I don't even really know what I'm trying to express. I just feel wrong somehow. I'd love to hear stories of how others got through it. Okay, I'm truncating because it's a long question and I'm a little sick, as I'm sure you can tell. So, excuse me. Okay, so I'm going to keep going. I went with a new-ish kind of really. It came out in 2019, so it's not like brand, brand new. But it's new-ish anthology called Non-Binary, Memoirs of Gender and Identity. It's by Micah Rajunov and Scott Duane. Those are the editors. And then it has a bunch of contributors, I think about 30. And this is a collection of autobiographical essays about the experience of realizing that you don't fit along the gender spectrum. And some of them don't call it a spectrum. Some of the contributors call it like a web or a multidimensional space, or they use all of these really illuminating and interesting ways of describing the whole uh, fleshed out way that anyone can experience gender, the multiple um, options. And I really like this collection because it's super diverse, not just racially, but also like age wise, like there are some senior citizens who didn't begin expressing a a non-binary identity until, you know, they were senior citizens. There are different experiences from uh, like across a class spectrum, uh, across the racial spectrum, across the religious spectrum. Like there's just a whole floppity jillion (laughs) different ways of living in a body. And this is about 30 completely different ones. But the kind of through line is that like, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) And you said that a few times in your question that you like, you feel wrong, you feel like you don't fit. And those are all completely understandable feelings. But it's not that there's anything wrong with you. There's something wrong with the world. And Mm -hmm. it's it's not your fault, you know? Um, And that's really kind of the foundational idea, I think, of this book, even though non-binary people and non-binary contributors to this anthology are not a monolith, like no one's going to describe the experience in the exact same way, because they're all coming from different places. But that foundational idea is really important. And I think you will find some comfort in. So that's Non-Binary Memoirs of Gender and Identity by Micah Rajanov and Scott Twain. That sounds great. I'm putting it on my TBR. Uh, <laughs> I have fiction for you. I love this book so much, and it's. I think it will really speak to you. It's The Heartbreak Bakery by A.R. Capetta. The main character, Sid, is 18, but this, like... It's so interesting because it is like, I guess, technically a YNA novel and that the main character is a teenager. But like Sid is not going to school. Sid is working a job like this is about this is coming of age in that sense. But it's not like a teen high school drama. So Sid works at this. Uh, Sid wants to be a baker, like going to go to culinary school, like the whole nine yards and works currently at the Proud Muffin, which is this like triumphantly queer bakery community space in Austin. <sighs> and <I love> yeah, <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. And the sort of overarching plot of this is that Sid discovers in this otherwise like very real world setting that the brownies made in a fit of like breakup angst are breaking up other couples like (gasps) their brownies have magic. The brownies have magic powers, which is not the intention that Sid had when making them. And so Sid is like, oh, no, I have to fix this. So the quest becomes to find everybody who ate a brownie and get them to reunite with the person that they broke up with. 
And along for the ride is Harley, the Proud Muffins delivery person who is gender fluid, uses he or they depending on the day, um, and has like a pin on the messenger bag that lets you know, like, what are Harley's pronouns today? And part of the the like underlying journey that I think is specifically going to speak to you, aside from this being just like a delightful story, is that Sid is cannot figure out how to express Sid's like can't pick pronouns like doesn't feel comfortable with any of the gender expressions that are around Sid like it's just really difficult to figure out how to be in this world that like kind of even with more options still can feel really limiting so and there's a beautiful resolution to it I just I, I love Sid so much I love Sid and Harley like I love the big quests that they end up going on together like it's just a delight to read and it is so thoughtful about gender identity and gender expression and like the myriad ways that people can be and the myriad ways that people can feel about how they are so Again, that's The Heartbreak Bakery by A.R. Capetta. All right. Our next question is from Caroline, who says, I have two requests. I've had a pretty rough start to 2022, and I've made the decision to drop out of my Ph.D. program. It's the right decision for my health, but it's still difficult. Do you have any books, fiction or nonfiction, about someone stepping away from a difficult situation and it all turning out okay? Secondly, thanks to said rough start to the year, I've been finding it hard to focus on reading. All I've managed to read is rereads of Serena Bowen's romance series. Do you have any comps? Any gender combinations welcome. Totally okay with sex on the page. And bonus points for characters with disabilities slash mental health. But not Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. Already read and loved it. I'm just gonna keep talking. (laughs) I picked Always Only You by Chloe Lise. This is technically on spec, but I really feel like after I've not read Serena Bowen, but I did like a deep dive into all of the different titles and they like she covers a lot of ground like she's got like cowboys and she's got sports and she's got like all of these different things and I wasn't sure like which sub series was your favorite but this book looks great and I think satisfies a bunch of your requests it's always only you by Chloe Lise and the ma- it's a grumpy slash sunshine romance mm-hmm. between uh, Frankie, who like helps manage a hockey team, and Ren, who is like a new player on the team, and like obviously they cannot date because they're on the same team. Like that's like not allowed. And also, they're very different, extremely different. You know, as as I said, like <laughs> Frankie's super grumpy and like knows it and is fine with it. Also, is on the autistic spectrum and struggles with uh, has chronic pain issues, and so you know doesn't really feel like relationships are easy and or an option for her. Like, mm-hmm. really, does not feel like people get her or are willing to invest in, you know, taking her as she is. And, you know, Ren is like a Shakespeare nerd on a hockey team. So like, that's just delightful. I don't know what to say aside from this sounds amazing. I'm really looking forward to reading it. I'm on hold for it at the library. And it just it has a similar vibe to a bunch of the descriptions I read of Serena Bowen uh, romances. So yes, again, that's Always Only You by Chloe Lee. which side note is technically the second in a who cares as always who cares Mm. at the end Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) who cares the end yes (laughs) 
Okay, I went with the first part of your question um, about people stepping away from difficult situations and it all turning out okay. And I picked In the Shadow of the Mountain by Sylvia Vasquez Lovato. This might be the last time I could talk about this book on the show. I, I was just going to say, I think this is officially... I, have we ever used up a book this fast before? I'm not sure. I don't know, but I keep... I'm obsessed with it. So here we are. I don't know. <laughs> so this comes with a lot of trigger warnings, childhood sexual abuse, human trafficking, um, and... It's a memoir um, about a Peruvian woman who is climbing Mount Everest. And so it starts with her childhood in Peru. And her childhood is very difficult. She experiences sexual abuse from a person who's like employed by her family uh, for years and years. And it's, of course, horrifying. She leaves to go to the U.S. to go to college and becomes pretty successful post college. Like she, you know, gets a job in Silicon Valley. She becomes, she like climbs the ladder, all of that kind of stuff. But she develops a drinking problem pretty fast, and the whole thing just becomes untenable. Like she's, she's really obviously chasing both alcohol and financial success or career success to escape from having to deal with what happened to her as a child. And it all kind of comes to a head. Her whole world crashes down and she like leaves. She just abandons all that whole situation and decides she's going to become a mountain climber, which is like, hey, pivot (laughs) Silicon Valley guy to mountain climber. And she like an elite mountain climber, not just like I'm going hiking, like I'm going to climb Everest kind of a thing. She climbs a whole bunch of really famous mountains that I don't remember the name name of because I'm not a mountain climber climber pretty fast and then sets her sights on Everest but she doesn't want to do it like the way that these you're like typical mountain climber dude tech bro does it where like he's just out to conquer something she wants it to mean something so she partners with a nonprofit in Nepal um, and with some people from the U.S. to take victims of human trafficking and sexual abuse to hike the 40 miles to base camp. So like from the town that's close, I don't remember the name of it, the town that's like closest to the base of Everest, it's 40 mile hike up to base camp. So she does that hike with them and then is going to continue on to climb the rest of the mountain herself. And so when I say it turned out okay, I mean, it turns out okay in the book, both because she successfully climbs Mount Everest, which is amazing, but also like she's doing really well, Sylvia. Her her memoir is going to be made into a movie. Selena Gomez is going to play her. Like she's doing great, uh, even after dealing with all of that trauma and like totally burning her life down and starting all the way over on a mountain. Which that's that's like the most extreme version of that I think I've ever read about. So that is in the shadow of the mountain by Sylvia Vasquez Lovato, and it is time for our next sponsor. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal. Join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. 
No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, question five is from Felipe, who says, I'm reading Kim Stanley Robinson's New York 2140 and enjoying it, although it's different from my usual reads. I'm curious what other books like it you might recommend, books that address climate change and a changed world. All right, Jen, what you got? I've got American War by Omar el Akkad. This is it's interesting. You know, New York 2140, excuse me, is like a really intense book. Mm. And so is this one. Side note. Uh, it takes place in like 2074-ish. Or no, I th- things start to really come to a head in this future in 2074. The like a bunch of the United States, including half of Louisiana, is underwater because of climate change. Oil is outlawed and that outlawing of oil causes another American civil war where the South secedes from the North because of Mm. this uh, legislation. And our main character, Sarat, is from Louisiana. Um, Her family is sent to a refugee camp because of displacement. And she is very like, you know, living this difficult, struggling life under all of these uh, circumstances caused by the climate change and then the repercussions of the legislation around that climate change. And it's about, you know, political radicalism. It's about, you know, displacement. It's about who suffers the most from, you know, climate change, which is something that I think is really important to acknowledge. Uh, Kim Stanley Robinson is jumping around from narrator to narrator, and that's not what's happening here. You're focused really on Sarat. But I still think it's going to give you similar vibes. It is. It's also pretty dark. And really digs into, like, the oppression and the difficulties that could happen from climate change. Uh, So, again, that's American War by Omar El-Akkad. All right. I picked Game Changer by L.X. Beckett. And this is a really kind of hopeful look at climate change kind of so it's it's near future it's post 21st century um and humanity has experienced in what they call in the book the setback which is like kind of the destruction of civilization because of climate change and then the clawback which was a rebuilding period and now the present day in the book and the one that we're kind of living in is called the bounce back which is where humanity is actually kind of thriving and if you read some of the reviews of the book you'll see a couple of people call it the future liberals want and that is pretty (laughs) it's pretty accurate so like everybody is an environmentalist as a matter of course 
because of course they are. We've like lived through terrible destruction. Their uh, technology and social media are a huge driving force, kind of infomocracy ish. If if mm. you've read that, but print, but like benevolent, like nobody's out here trying to use a Facebook, a future Facebook to destroy a democracy. It's just like kind of nice, you know, and like being queer, super normal. It's just, it, again, the future liberals want. Everyone's a vegetarian. No, I made that part up. Um, and so uh, the main character's name is Ruby, and she's a member of this generation. This is all she's ever known, the bounce back. And so she, it, you know, it's the first generation that's really been raised without all of the looming destruction and despair that so many millennials are so familiar with. And now she works as a public defender. And the job of a public defender in The Bounce Back is really interesting because it's not so much crimes that she's defending. It's like people who are behaving in antisocial ways. And antisocial not meaning like a loner, but meaning like ways that are damaging to society are, are the crimes now. And then she has, which is also what we say are crimes in 2022 but it's not always accurate um and so she meets a man named loose who is like a, a real firebrand he's of course uh like a rebel he's done all these anti-social things he's controversial um and she needs to be his his kind of public defender but she doesn't exactly understand why all of the governments of the world want him locked up or why he really really wants to destroy the bounce back which of course would mean the destruction of humanity like what's going on there's some deeper political conspiracy happening here so it's got a mystery at the heart of it but really you're in this for the world building like what would the world look like not just at the end of climate change like the climate change disaster but like if we destroyed it all and then built it back what would that what would that even look like? Like, how would you recover? And like, what future would we build ourselves if we were starting over from nothing? It's just a really interesting thought experiment. So that's Game Changer by L.X. Beckett. All right. Our next question is from another Amanda. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, following your recommendation, I picked up Kiss of Steel by Beck McMaster. It was different than what I usually read, depressing literary fiction and some YA. But I devoured it much faster than usual and read two of her other books, Tarnished Night and Heart of Iron. While I enjoyed the others, I preferred the original. Kiss of Steel made me feel all swoony because, problematic as it is, I love a book with a ridiculously overprotective caddish hero and a plucky, intelligent heroine. The steampunk setting allowed me to ignore the alarm bells that would be ringing in a contemporary novel, e.g. Fifty Shades, which I hated, and Beautiful Disaster, which made me feel damaged. <laughs> anyway, what I was hoping you could help me with was finding more books that are not depressing, feature all the slightly squeaky sw swoon I enjoy, aren't contemporary, and have a strong plotline besides the romance. Um, I love this question. I know Amanda mm -hmm. loves this question. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep talking. So my pick for you you is Sarah McLean's Bare Knuckle Bastards series. We haven't talked about Sarah McLean in a minute, and I feel like this is the thing that she does really well is write these like ridiculously overprotective like pseudo alpha guys who are not actually jerks they just like care mm. the most they care the most <laughs> and that leads them to behave in ridiculously overprotective ways also and the heroines are just like okay fine like whatever i don't need this from you um and the whole <laughs> book is about like deconstructing that relationship which is great um and i think the first one in particular is kind of enjoyable in that uh, it's so like removed from anything that would have really happened in Regency times. Um, the first one is Wicked and the Wallflower, and 
literally the book opens with this lady, Felicity, like getting accosted in her bedroom by this mysterious strange, like dapper dressed to the nine stranger who's like ex- making like a weird bargain with her. Like you're like, that's not that's not real. Like that's not real. And that just like like you said, it frees you to just enjoy the dynamics and the plot and the fun. And with all of its, like, yeah, slightly squeaky, like, overprotectiveness and a heroine who is just like, whatever. <laughs> so, um, but I think the whole Bare Knuckle Bastard series would work for this question. And again, that's Sarah McLean, who I do know. Uh, so, like, disclaimer, I guess. But yeah, this, this series is, I think, very much what you're looking for. Um, I'm trying to decide if I want to, like, rant about any of this oh. right now. <laughs> I'm, like, kind of sitting on it. I think I might a little bit. So, like, a little side rant. I'm just going to kind of gently, I understand why you're saying it, but I'm going to like gently push back on the idea that a romance with this kind of dynamic is inherently problematic because I I do not think that it is. And some of the reasons are that, well, I won't, whatever. (laughs) I think that in a time, which is now in 2022, when women do most overwhelmingly most of the mental, emotional, and physical labor in relationships and households, reading a novel where a man does literally any labor is not a problem. Like you're not, it's not squeaky to read about a dude who thinks about the woman he's in love with a lot. Like that's, it's fine. The expression of it can be problematic Mm. sometimes, but you're naming some titles that like, I just don't think Kiss of Steel is is like this. And if you're looking for other books with relationship like Kiss of Steel, that's fine. Yeah, you just feels like your tone's a little apologetic, I think. And I don't think that you I'm giving you permission to like read these books and like them. And you don't have to caveat at all the time that you that you like them. So anyway, that's my kind of side note. That said, <laughs> I picked A Curious Beginning, which is the first book in the Veronica Speedwell series by uh, Deanna Rayborn. And I didn't, I went back and forth on this because, you know, a romance novel needs a happily ever after. And the first book does not give you that. So you gotta, you're like, you gotta be in it for the long haul with these two. So it's about a woman named Veronica who is raised by her, she's an orphan, she's raised by her aunts. And her aunt dies at the opening of the book. And so Veronica is going, is like, she's an adult. She's got a little bit of money. She also has a secret career as a lepidopterist. Is that right? She studies butterflies. Yes, thank you. And so she's like been publishing her papers under a male pseudonym. And so she's going to take her little bit of money and go off into the world and write her papers and like sleep with foreigners because this is how she entertains herself, which I'm very into. And that's what she wants. But... Like, page one, she's packing her bags after her aunt's funeral, and somebody breaks into her house and tries to kill her. And then a mysterious, like, German baron shows up and saves her and takes her off to London and is like, no, no, I'll explain later. Someone's after you. And she's like, yeah, I noticed. Like, someone broke in and tried to kill me. Um, And then while they are on the train, he explains that she is not who she has been told she is, that her background and her aunts had some big secret. He's going to leave her with his friend Stoker, who is a natural historian, for a few days while he goes and tries to figure out how to protect her. And then he's going to explain everything. And she's like, okay, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing now. Um, and then he's murdered. This, the the German baron is murdered and Stoker, who she is staying with, is accused of committing the crime. And so they have to go on the run, all while trying to figure out what is this big secret that the baron was going to tell her. And so that's the mystery that you're in. And it gets solved pretty much in like book one. Um, but the relationship between Stoker and Veronica is the thing that you're really here for because Stoker is a jerk. He is just a grumpy McGrumperson. 
he's not super overly protective of Veronica. He actually quite dislikes her in the beginning and like does not want her around. He's more overprotective of his own silence and like solitude and please just leave like that. He really resents that she's there. Eventually, the closer they get, the more he starts to bring out some of that overprotectiveness, especially when he realizes that she's in like actual physical danger. And she's kind of like starts to grow on him. And then the gr- there's like a lot of sexual tension. There's a lot of expressions of affection in actions, but not necessarily in words because they continue to like harp at each other for most of book one. But if you stick with them for more than just book one, their relationship really evolves and well, I don't want to spoil it, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and in each book, they're like solving a different mystery. So it's a combo romance, historical fiction mystery thriller kind of thing going on. And the mysteries are mostly ridiculous. Like at one point, there's a circus. You know, you're just here for the romp. That's what it is. So book one, again, is A Curious Beginning, and it's the Veronica Speedwell series by Deanna Rayborn. Okay, our last question is from Margaret, who says, I love fantasy, but I like the people in the books to continue to deal with real life. I just finished reading Sunshine by Robin McKinley, and I'm looking for something similar. I like the Mercy Thompson series, but preferred it when she was an active mechanic rather than being kidnapped into fairy realms or dealing with her coyote god dad. The other thing I love is romances with an important and well-developed spy subplot. My absolute favorite is Joanna Bourne, and I also like to Gift for Guile and A Talent for Trickery by Alyssa Johnson. Um, okay, so this is another two-parter. So, Jen, why don't you go first? Yeah. Um, a quick Amanda's taking the fantasy part of this question, but I just want to give a quick shout out to the Kate Daniels series because I think it's mm. what you're looking for. I also love Sunshine um, by Rob McKinley. Okay, so spies, spies in romance. Love it, love it. And I think you instantly immediately need to read Alyssa Cole's Loyal League series. This is mm-hmm. spies during the Civil War. It is has both black and white main characters and each book follows a different spy couple and I like one one of the things I love about this series is that I learned like a history like that I just didn't know (laughs) already and you know like like the Pinkertons started out not as like you know strike breakers but as you know a spy organization to help like the North win the Civil War like that's not a thing I knew and the characters are so great they are like there's it's incredibly important the spy stuff is essential like you can't have these books without the spy Mm -hmm. plot Everything about these books are about the spy plots. And then also, obviously, like catching feelings and romancing your fellow spies, people who are not spies, but who turn up along the way. Like, it is just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. And the first book is An Extraordinary Union. There are three books in the series. You should read all of them. Again, that is the Loyal League series by Alyssa Cole, who I also know, side note, but sorry, I know a lot of romance authors. <laughs> <laughs> you do. Disclaimers. Yeah. All right. Um, so for the fantasy question, I picked Creatures of Passage by Moroa Yajeti, which comes with a lot of trigger warnings that I forgot to write down. Um, lynching, childhood, sexual abuse. Um, okay, so this takes place in the 70s in Washington, D.C. And it is very much like the best way that I can describe it is if Toni Morrison rewrote all of Neil Gaiman's books. Like that's the <laughs> it's such a weird mashup of those two writing styles, but that's exactly correct. It's so strange. It's so strange. So it's about a woman named Nephthys, who is a taxi driver, kind of, in in Washington, D.C., where the book takes place. Uh, She drives a 67 Belvedere that has a ghost in the trunk. She's an alcoholic. And she doesn't 
work as a taxi driver in a traditional way. She lets, like, she just knows when she needs to show up somewhere and then ferries people to the places where they need to go. And the people who she ferries also just know that if they stand in a certain place, the ride that they need will appear. So it's, you know, like, that's very Neil Gaiman kind of a thing. And so her great nephew, who is a boy named Dash, shows up at her apartment with a mysterious note from a nurse from his school warning Nephthys that, like, something terrible has happened to this boy and that if she doesn't intervene bad, you know, like really bad things are going to continue to happen. And so Nephthys, who is estranged from the boy's mother, her her niece, um, and doesn't really know this kid is like, oh, okay, like, I guess I'm supposed to do something about this. And so she has to face her family, which is includes the boy his uh, and his mother, that she is like completely abandoned. And the reason she abandoned the family is because her brother, who is Dash's grandfather, her twin brother, was lynched uh, several years prior. And then the daughter, Amber, who is the boy's mother, uh, who can predict death, didn't predict it. And so Nephthys is like very resentful of that whole branch of her family. And she's just like quietly drinking herself to death in her apartment and then ferrying souls around as she does. And so she has to decide if she's going to get re-involved with her family while she's still really mourning her brother, who is a ghost in the novel, um, who haunts like everyone in a really violent kind of way. Um, And so she does. It's just... It's a very quiet, weirdly kind of book. Like, it's just about this neighborhood in D.C. and the people who live there. But all of this magical, otherworldly, you know, in the same way that when you read, like, The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman, it's hard to describe that as magic, right? Because it's more like weird, multidimensional happenings that's kind that's what's happening a creatures of passage it's not like when you think of a traditional fantasy novel with like wizards and whatever like nobody's casting spells it's just this deeply ingrained spiritual paranormal multidimensional mm. thing that runs through everything and that everyone just accepts as like a matter of course um which when you read kind of more ugh, i don't know how to work like western you know what i'm saying kind of fantasy novels it's like everything is dragons this is not that this is just like magic is quote marks magic is like in all of it so it's it's rough it's a rough read it's pretty violent Uh, a lot of bad things happen to all the characters but you know it's the south in the 60s and 70s and every character in this book is black so of course that's true but it's so so worth it even if you just want to because of the singular thing of it like just because it's such a strange reading experience if even if like you don't aren't necessarily interested in the subject matter i would read it just for like the what is this it's such a trick of writing it's so good so that's creatures of passage by maroa yajani i think that's it is that our show, that's that's our our show. show. <laughs> hey, hey thank you so much to our audio editor jen zink and to all of you for listening you can find more reading recommendations at bookriot.com and all of our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen or just on the thing you're on in your podcatcher if you search book riot they'll all come up um you can leave us ratings and reviews on apple podcasts and spotify and thank you so much to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And where's Jen? I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will be back next week. 